What's going on, guys? It's the Sports Q at CG with Texas Mike as we get set for this rapid fire episode. But you know what happens in these types of situations, Texas Mike? First of all, hello. How are you? You know, life is good. About to be a beautiful spring here in the great city of Houston, Texas. Yes, indeedy. I'm in the uh, lovely state of New York right now as we bring you this broadcast and start talking about uh, what's going to be happening in the world of sports and what we're talking about today. But the reason why we say rapid fire is we're doing this in the daytime. We don't have all this time to kind of just uh, sit back, relax, and bring you the sports cue. So don't forget to hit that follow, hit that subscribe. Let us know what your comments and your thoughts are. Let's get right into things. And we're going to open up with college basketball. We start to get into March Madness. Um, that excitement level is going to be happening. But we get the drama now you get some drama well the first thing that we've already talked about on this show women's basketball as far as the college landscape has been far more popular and more uh it's just getting more attention flat out um selling out arenas if your name is caitlin clark i don't know what do you think about the other schools though like how do you think how there's got to be a drop off somewhere right well we had the same song and dance last year with caitlin clark and the iowa hawkeyes clear favorites and then look who stole the show the LSU Tigers I don't think that's going to happen this year but it was a wonderful story when it did yeah and I couldn't even tell you probably three guys right now in college basketball that have shown themselves I mean Bronny Bronny James is probably the most popular which is crazy I mean unless you're really really closely following college basketball well here in the city of Houston the Houston Cougars have made a meteoric rise to the number one in the polls, APN coaches poll and are sitting here on the odds board at plus 800 tied for second best. And you okay. got Calvin Sampson as yeah. an old school disciplinarian, defensive minded coach, and he's got the roster to implement that. So we'll see. I think it really boils down to who's going to take down the Yukon Huskies who look like formidable favorites to repeat. Yeah, and they knew how to play tournament ball. They knew how to basically play that elimination game. So when we talk about um, – we'll talk about the odds and we'll talk about March Madness and what our thoughts are. Kind of gave a hint, I think. I don't think you're going to ride with Houston. You said UConn, so we'll see uh, where you do end up landing. Don't forget you can hit that follow and subscribe, though. Follow us on the sports queue right here. I'm in New York. He's in Texas. He's Texas Mike. Let's talk about this court storming. Uh, you went to a, a, a very strong college program. Uh, storming the field, storming the court. These are things that have been, quote unquote, tradition. Um, we saw this a little bit with Caitlin Clark. We saw this uh, most recently with Filipowski, who they say he's coming back. So the the severity of the injury, who knows? But um, what do you think? Much ado about nothing. What's the solution? Is it just, uh, you know, should you be given a 30-second uh, pause to get out of the way i mean what's the answer here there's not many stars in college basketball uh i think he could theoretically make it back by tournament time the, the oh, he's back is, they say he's back they say he's coming right back is he he's gonna play okay we'll see uh it'll be interesting but overall just the quality of college basketball is not what it used to be in our heyday when we Grew up in the 90s watching right, but, but the storming of the court actual like operation like that that whole process because it, it becomes the talking point and nobody's even really paying attention to the game right now right they're talking about storming the court i will say i think it's a bit excessive when we storm the field of the court it's starting to get a little out of hand like if it's a 25th ranked team and 
you know it happens too often yeah i see where you're going with this as somebody that went to law school at syracuse during the best time to go there uh, i was a 2l during the 2003 carmelo anthony jerry mcnamara legendary run jim Beheim's one title when Pittsburgh was defeated that season, I remember the court was being stormed. Brandon Knight jumped up on the scorer's table. Literally the whole crowd. I mean, it's getting knocked over. It is dangerous to the players. I've seen it firsthand. It's part of the emotion of it. I mean, remember we saw this in the college football side where, where they're trying to get rid of it. It still happens. It just needs to be done more in a safe manner. But you're right. It's not every time you're unranked and you beat a top 25 opponent is it worthy of storming the court? We saw this with LSU, my alma mater. Storming the court, pulled some upsets here recently. You got players being hugged, mobbed, grabbed. It's 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 become dangerous. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, what do you think, CG? So I just think it does become a stampede type situation because everybody's kind of just raring to go and they want to go ahead and storm the court. You talk about Syracuse. Syracuse seems like it would be the most complicated to try that. I mean, the carry dome, the way that it's built, because you have to take basically a quarter of the size of that dome, place that court down, and then the, you got that, it's like auxiliary bleachers, isn't it? Right behind that scorer's table right there? That's exactly what it is. You're right. It's basically, you got to think of the dome being cut in half with a giant curtain. And that's one reason that Syracuse always seems to be able to set these attendance records, because if Duke or North Carolina is coming in the house, they just keep going up the angles where you can see a little bit from the curtain, but you're right. The, the, the force of the storm is from three sides. You got the yeah, student I, section and the bleachers. And so you, you, and you hit a great point there. I think the student section dictates what happens. I think the student section is going to be the one that's going to be the first one. That's just, they, they are in tune to the game. They know what's going on. They're going to run out there. You know, I don't need the extra security over with the band. I know the band is not going to run it. They're playing the, the fight song and whatnot get me over to the student section, tell them to pause for a moment. Then if they want to go out there and they want to celebrate with their team, that's fine. Uh, but it's gotten to where, you know, five seconds left in the game, they're beeline straight for it. And we've been in these arenas. These are not like the toughest security guards we've ever seen on the planet and nor do they want to get in the way of it. They're not paid enough to get stampeded. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, 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 they're there to keep the peace. It's not, like an NBA game. I mean, you've been out there and sat close to the court. They're, if you're going to rush the court over there, good luck. You're going to get tackled by like 12-looking FBI-looking dudes. Logistically, it's also complicated. Like you you watch, uh, what is it? Uh, is it Auburn Stadium where you? it's a brick wall that you have to hop over? Yes. I mean, just getting over the wall is you can get hurt. Now you get over the wall. Now you're going <laughs> to and you're going to run onto the field. By the time that's over, you know, you're getting to the high five standpoint. Um, I think that there is some bravery from some of the fans running on the court, though. I mean, the getting in the players' faces and things like that when you're an absolute mob, come on. That's a that's a little aggressive. It's a little aggressive. It's just feeding into the social media look at me kind of dynamic that's come up with a generation that's known nothing but growing up with that. I mean... And the athlete has nothing but everything to lose in that situation. Cam Newton, take a look at that fight video that just came out. Do they forget that Cam Newton is, we've talked about, he's six, what, six, six, and just, you know, yoked out. Well, you bring up even another point, like any sports, whether it's college level or youth, people need to calm down a little bit. It's not worth it a seven on seven 
to get into a brawl with Cam Newton, who basically you can see there, he, he's just kind of defending himself. He could really hurt these guys if he wanted to, but he stands the most to lose. He knocks somebody out and gets sued in a battery situation. It's potentially millions of dollars because he has that kind of money. Yeah, it makes him a target in a way, but you do realize how big these dudes are. They're world-class athletes. You know, you it, even if they were terrible in the NFL, you know, these guys are are built a certain way. That's why they're doing what they do. So um, we'll see. It's not going away. There's nothing you can do to really change it. You're not going to stop a mob of people. Uh, the the idea of of detaining everybody on the court and giving them a citation, again, good luck with that. What are you going to do, lock the doors and keep everybody in? You can't do that. You just can't do that. So um, it's tough. It, it, it would. I will say this. You probably could have the security guards start standing up and maybe putting out a rope line to create a perimeter. And I think that that would give a signal that you can't go yet. Right. I mean, that's it, a good solution. I, I was working for another employer. That's what we did. We, we brought that rope line up because the autograph session was going to start after that. Now this is a different type of crowd and not taking down number one in the country, but I think that that establishes like, okay, they're there. They got the bright yellow jackets on. Here's that rope line. We probably don't want to run all into that because we're all going to trip over one another. I think that's a good solution. I've never even heard that one before. And another one is what you see a little bit in the college football field rush. You essentially focus the law enforcement duties on just protecting the players and the coaches. They stand the most to lose. Do not let the visiting team just get abused, heckled, potentially injured by court stormers that you know want to go back to the fraternity party after the game and be like, yeah. I slap that fool upside the head. It's it's just it's tasteless when it goes to that point. You know, leave the players alone. And and the goalposts, they started doing that thing where they started to retract them. You know, again, good ideas. You know, there's the, the ideas are out there to just keep everybody safe. Somebody's gonna get elbowed in the face, something's gonna happen in any time. You can't have a mob of that. You go to a crowded club and people are elbowing each other. You know what I mean? So it's just uh, there's we have to work with the situation. You can't you can't just say you're not gonna do it anymore. Uh, I think it is part of the experience. It's always a great shot for television when you got a sea of people all celebrate. I mean, that's one shining moment, right? That's coming up uh, very soon. So um, there isn't a perfect solution, but I think there are some solutions in that scenario. Th this actually segues very nice into some EPL talk because uh, EPL sees their share of shenanigans in the stands. Um, I think it gets a little bit more like storming the court is one thing, but You've seen some wild stuff on the pitch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've seen everything from players going to cardiac arrest to people getting struck by lightning. I mean, knives being thrown. There's a YouTube series called The Football Factories, if you're really bored. And it shows what the world's largest and most intense rivalries, the precautions that the stadium will take to provide security, makeshift cages being built to house the opposing fans. It is insane. So if there's any sport that has to deal with the most intense and most potentially violent fans, it's world football. How do they, how do they get the fireworks and stuff in though? How does that happen? They literally carry it in. You got to think in a lot of these, 
I've been to a match in Costa Rica before, and this was even during COVID. This was the 2022 USA qualifier. Security was pretty good, probably because it was the United States. But you got to think if it's like to use a Costa Rican example, Saprisa playing some other Costa Rican club, you, you just bring it in. I've seen people do it when the Dynamo used to play at Robertson Stadium at U of H. People brought in flares, things like that. It's just the security is a little bit lax. We're used to American style security. That's not how it is in most of the world. So what is it in most of the, I mean, is it more intense or is it more late? It sounds like you're saying it's more laid back. It's just kind of like. Yeah, if, if you're marching in, with they, they typically have like the supporters groups. And you've seen it before. And MLS has these groups. They march in together. They just kind of wave. At it. They just don't check them that well. They don't. Hey, they're bringing in drums and things like that. You hide a flare. You hide something in there. They, they don't want to destroy that element of the fan experience. And that's part of in the growth of the MLS is the growth of these you know, supporters groups that are you know, kind of unofficial super fans of whatever squad. You were talking about MLS, and I saw that video recently where Messi is actually standing behind the guy that's taking a, a penalty kick. Uh, and he's essentially uh, predicting where he's going to shoot you know he's going to take the shot uh frowned upon is that a hidden rule like baseball is uh, stealing signs i mean why uh you know it's it's a very clear signal uh obviously his goalkeeper saw it um fair or foul people have been doing that for a long time the goalie is at such a disadvantage because he's not allowed and you see them skirt this rule a little bit technically allowed to leave the line until the shot's fired to close the angle and some of these guys, especially in, in the top pro leagues, they're six six, long arms. If they could scoot forward before, cut the angle, and guess right, their reach and their reaction it is such they can block the shot. So, I mean, it, it, it's still an art. There's some keepers that are better than others. There's also copious amounts of data that in this before. I mean, you have shot charts, tendencies, all these things. It's it's difficult to save a penalty kick. But I don't know. So I saw the video, but I don't really know the backstory. But is it based off of Messi's knowledge of the player or is it how he's standing that he knows where that ball, you know, from a probability standpoint is going to go? I mean, that's a good question. I, 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 you know, the goalkeepers study the data on the shooters extensively. You know, maybe Messi, as far as exactly, yeah, what the guy's tendencies, how he's lining up, certain guys with the way – if they're going to go in different corners, they're studied on film pretty intensely. They're going to set up slightly different the way they look at the corners, their eye position. There's tendencies. I mean, it's human, right? Yeah. And if you're wrong, then, you know, they just say you're wrong. You guessed wrong. And then we move on. Uh, talk about now the action on the pitch, though, when you're taking a look at the EPL and we're taking a look at uh, your guys' arsenal sitting there in third. Uh, and the table, what is that, uh, sitting at 58? I mean, it, right at the top, man, you get Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal all bunched up together. A little bit of a gap back to Aston Villa, but your top three, kind of the way you saw it, uh, the way that you really predicted it. Um, but Man City continues to start to kind of chip away at it, I guess. Man City, except for that slip-up draw that they had, is exactly on the run that we predicted on this show. Got Kevin De Bruyne back. The rest of the team is intact. They're clicking. They are prone to some cheesy goals from time to time, which could hurt them. You know, I'm looking here. 
All the teams are separated. There's no games in hand anymore. They're within two points. Liverpool sitting at the top. What hurts Liverpool the most is simply this. They're extremely injured right now. No Mo Salah, no Trent Alexander-Arnold. They're relying on young teenage and early 20s talent to fill the gap, and they're doing it quite impressively. But that's going to catch up to you when you have an Arsenal squad that's won five in a row. They're on fire right now. They're banging in goals at a crazy rate. Their goal differential is the best in the league right now. Can they continue to rise and steal the title? Yeah, it's quite possible. But once again, I've been predicting since the show started that Man City is going to win. They're going to continue to win. I, you are the king until you are dethroned. And I've said that now a few times. We're going to have to see if Arsenal can make that late run. I think Liverpool is going to fall back to the pack. It's just injuries are an equalizer. They need some of their players to come back. Mo Salah is at least looks like healthy enough to make the bench. He was injured in the Africa Cup of Nations, which, hey, if you're an Egypt fan, you want to see them make it. But most Liverpool fans don't really care about Africa Cup of Nations. They'd rather have one of the best players in the EPL and the second leading scorer as it stands now out on the pitch. So we have an interesting title race for once. Remember in our preseason episode, we said Man City, and I've talked to some of my English friends about this, have almost made it not fun for the rest of the league. But we'll see how it ends. Bukayo Saka for Arsenal has just been a revelation playing on fire. And it's a three-horse race and no others. I'm still going to predict Man City, but I'm hoping for my gunners to get it done. Now, as Lee Corsa would say, not so fast. Consistency, not so fast, my friend. Consistency is the top three. A little choppy underneath, but uh, look at number six. Look at the Red Devils now. Four in a row. Climbing. Making a, making a climb. Is it smoke and mirrors? Uh, goal differential, exactly the same. Um your thoughts on the, the man United now being in, in, in the sixth spot, uh, making a bit of a run here. And, and can can they hit that top three? Can they hit the top three or four? Rasmus Hoyland, the young Danish international, 20 years old. He's been a revelation for them at striker. Yeah, they're rolling. Let the goal differential, that's more of a byproduct of early season failures. Can they catch Tottenham, though Tottenham has a game in hand, and get that fifth spot into the Champions League? Absolutely. But I'm looking at who's behind them. Brighton, West Ham, Wolverton Wolves. They're not going to be able to catch them. No. It's going to be – I don't see Aston Villa slipping back to the pack. Aston Villa is having a dream season. That is a solid squad. Ollie Watkins is playing out of his mind. He's doing great. The whole team is whole team is just solid. Like I said, I don't see them sliding back. The goalkeeping Emmy Martinez completely in good shape. So I'm looking at it where you're going to boil down to can Man City catch Tottenham? It's up for debate. But as far as current form, they keep it rolling. Let's just say for prediction purposes, Man U gets it done. Could what would you say is the biggest? Take the top six. Big question mark for you, as we kind of continue on through the season. Uh, you know, if you're if you're sitting there as a as a 
a manager or an owner or whatnot, is there is there cause for concern somewhere within that top six that something you you start to see brewing that maybe the the audience isn't seeing or some of the fans are not noticing that you're saying, well, that that could eventually become an issue or a problem uh, for this squad or player. Yeah, that's a difficult question. I think the top six teams are pretty solid. It's just going to imagine how it shakes out. They're, they're going to reorder. Clearly, they're not going to sit as, as currently positioned here on our leap year day, February 29th. But it's going, to, it's going to boil down to, okay, obviously there's no transfer window options. It's going to be who can stay healthy and whose goalkeeping holds up. That's always an issue. The matches get higher pressure. You see more mistakes. You're seeing squads like Liverpool, Man City, and Arsenal, they can force mistakes on anybody, especially Arsenal and Man City. They're just putting in buckets of goals. I mean, Erling Holland in the FA Cup fifth round had a five-goal match by the 80th minute. And he can do that at any time on any opponent. Right, yeah. I mean, he's just got that ability to be able to just fill it up, uh, you know, like some of our NBA players or anything else. Let's shift gears here because we told you it was going to be rapid fire and we're going to go right into some college basketball one more time. And uh, you talked about Houston and they're sitting second. Uh, you, you're taking a look at the tournament, taking a look at some future odds, and you've got the top, top two uh, down pat. Uh, Purdue, too disappointing last season for me to take anything short on them. You know, I, I'm not a big uh, proponent. Now, I could get burned like that. That could be a very much a uh, Virginia losing to what was that school? Uh, the 16 seed that year, they were like the they were like the bloodhounds or something. They were was like that Maryland Baltimore County, I believe. Yes, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greyhounds. And, and then you and then you shy away from them, and then they come back and they win the national championship the next year. So it's like one of those strange, you know, predicaments when you're taking a look at future odds because you start thinking too much about what happened in the prior season uh, to make that decision. You know, anything in the top 10, I mean, you're taking a look at Arizona, Tennessee, Iowa State, Marquette, uh, North Carolina, Auburn, Duke, you know, very familiar names, Alabama. Um, what say you? I mean, taking a look at some of the, the top 10 in there, uh, is it a top 10 situation? And and who do we see maybe a little bit further down the list that says, I don't know, if they, if they can give me a little bit of something, uh, maybe they've got a shot. I really think it's the top three and everybody else this year. Zach Eady and Purdue, yes, they get prone to these just clunker games in the tournament, but the UVA model is a good comparison. You can snap out of it any time. They still have a lot of quality. You have a seven-foot-three center that's unstoppable as long as he's not in foul trouble. So the five fouls in college basketball, that almost needs to be changed because it becomes in tournament play such a – wild card factor. You get the two early on when the star players, now that the game takes a completely different spin and it should be more in line with the pro game. That's probably a discussion for another day. If I was going to like somebody to kind of come out of that group, it really is a tough call. I would say maybe Arizona Wildcats, just because they flirted up, up and down as number one. I think you maybe see some value there at plus 800. But I don't know. It, it, it's one of those top three teams. And if you're going to put the gun to my head and make me make a prediction now, I'm going to say UConn repeats. 
I mean, you want you want to go against a coach named Hurley? No. Yeah, I, I guess when you're talking about the, the the future odds, though, too, when you're taking a look at, you know, value versus do I feel like this is the right number? You know, UConn is going to be the favorite going into the tournament. Uh, there's certain teams and brands, they're just built for the tournament. Uh, you know, a team like Oregon comes to mind. You know, that's going to be a big number. But Oregon always kind of has like that weird way of just showing up during tournament time. You know a Pac-12 team, what will be the Pac-12 you know, 12 or whatever it is now, Um they show up. They show up in certain moments where you say, where did this team come from? And then they're dynamic, they're athletic, they can kind of move up and down the court. And you just got to go on a run. I mean, you got to go on a run of, what is it, six six games, basically, to, to try and be in that picture. Uh, it's tough to do. Um, but any team could have a bad game. Doesn't matter if they're number one or 1,000. Uh, you know, Baylor, maybe a team that kind of comes to mind. I, I mean... Well, it's interesting that you bring it up because some years when you're looking at this bracket and trying to formulate who you think is going to make the run to the trophy, conference records and conference depth are important. And I think unquestionably for this college basketball season, the Big 12 is the best conference. They have the most depth. It's the most dogfight league right now, day in and day out. So you're going to be tournament ready if you're healthy. So if there's going to be somebody besides a pack team that we already mentioned that's going to jump out of that, we've already talked about Houston and what they bring to the table, it's going to be a Big 12 team because the, the competition is fierce. They have the most ranked teams. The ACC, which normally fits that bill, is weaker this year. They're only projecting – five teams right now on Joe Lenardi's bracketology out of the ACC, which we've seen them get 10 in. So it's definitely a down year for ACC. So could there be some wild card? The West Coast Conference is a little better than it's been as just, you know, a smaller mid-major league that's fitting in. So it, it's going to be interesting. North Carolina has been a stalwart. They got, they got Mr. Bacon over there that's putting up all kind of career records for them. So, I mean, Baycott, sorry, I call him Mr. Bacon. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's going to be, I think it's a three-horse race. I, I can't really say otherwise. I know that's a little bit cliche, but I, I'm going to stick with my pick that UConn's going to repeat. It's tough to go against them. Let me give you an interesting team, though, as I take a look at some of the numbers right now. Kentucky. Kentucky is a brand that we know, obviously, and Kentucky's been kind of up and down. But you take a look at uh, their last game. They beat Mississippi State on the road. Prior to that, they 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 pretty much handily beat Alabama uh, at home. Then you take a look at that one-point loss to LSU, but then you watch the game prior to that. They were on the road at Auburn um, and, and won that game. So that, to me, looks like a Calipari team that is – is probably going to be young athletic is going to be, you know, back and forth, this and that. Um, are they good enough to, to do it? Who knows, but obviously they can score offensively. Um, and if they can go on a run, that's a brand that sometimes uh, maybe can surprise you. I think the class of the sec, if you're going to identify as not Kentucky this year is going to Tennessee. Tennessee has the scoring punch and a bunch of veteran players. I mean, you're, you're looking at it where, yeah, you got Rick Barnes, Final Four pedigree from 20 years ago with UT, did great things over there, 
he might be due to get back to a final four and upset the apple cart. But to me, as somebody that casually has been watching some SEC basketball, Tennessee's the class, not Kentucky. All right. We'll see what ends up happening in the tournament. We'll be looking forward to it. March Madness, always an exciting time. Selection Sunday, and then you start putting your brackets together. I'm sure you and I will put together uh, one or two. We'll probably put together a couple brackets there as we get into March Madness. I told you it was going to be a quick show. I am running right to the work podium here in just a second. But uh, Texas Mike can't end the episode without you giving us a few little nuggets on the way out the door. Well... Somebody that we've talked about at nauseum on this show and one of CG's favorite, congratulations to Shohei Itani. Just recently got married here. In the uh, most respectful way possible. You know, he puts up a nice note. He's just like, hey, everybody, I got married. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and talk about a significant community property interest in that proper in that contract down the line. <laughs> for texas mike this is cg quick show hopefully you guys enjoyed it we got more sports queue coming up for you nah, maybe next time we'll hang out a little bit longer we'll do it at night and do our normal setup but uh mike it's been fun it's been quick gentlemen as always and uh go man united no go gunners <laughs> we'll see you guys next time on the sports queue